Well, we're starting a new series this morning. It's called uh, Battle Ready, and um, I'm excited about it. If you will uh, want to follow along, you can't because I didn't actually give you any blanks. If you're new, you don't know what I'm talking about, but normally I put in some blanks here, note-taking, tension span, all that good stuff. Follow along the message, fill it in, it keeps... But today, you're going to have to do it on your own, and I'll trust you to do that. But we will be in the passage of Scripture um, in Genesis. Um, we're going to look at the first battle of the Bible, okay? But before that, just want to say uh, welcome to everybody that's here. Also, uh, we've been battling. Um, Cass and I just finished our basketball season. My wife, my wife and I coached together at Lexington Middle School. Um, she's the head coach. I'm the assistant, um, and I also assist with the boys' team there as well. But we, have, we went to the tournament yesterday. We battled all season, won every single game, undefeated until the championship game, and we lost. Ah, oh, disappointing, right? Yeah. Sometimes the battles that you face, they go your way, and sometimes they don't. Um, but that's a tough one. We're trying to shake that off this morning. And uh, remember that life is bigger than basketball. Um, life is bigger than some of the things we face, and we can get consumed in them. But um, anyway, that's where we are. But we're starting a series called Battle Ready, and we're going to be looking at some of the battles in the Bible and what we can learn from them. Um, not necessarily... Uh, the strategic uh, attacks and how we do that. And if you're a military person, maybe that's interesting and all that. Um, but we're going to look at the, the principles and the things that are going on surrounding the battles and uh, the ideas, what we can learn from each of these. Because in life, we all face battles. Your life, my life, we all face different types of battles. It's a metaphor for the things we go through. There's a lot of metaphors you can use. You can talk about storms, talk about things like that. But we're going to use the metaphor of a battle because in life, we're on a journey. That's the name of our church. And we believe that's kind of how it goes. But sometimes on that journey, you face battles. You come up against a, an enemy. And sometimes that enemy is something within. Sometimes that enemy is inside of us. Sometimes that enemy is, is outside of us. Sometimes the enemy is something that we've created because of the situations and things that we've done. Sometimes it's nothing to do with all of what we've done, but it's just come our way. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. And so that's what we're going to look at in the next few weeks, looking at different battles in the Bible. But this week, we're going to look at the first battle of the Bible. And that's found in Genesis chapter 14. So if you want to turn there, I told my daughter um, when she was asking me about my sermon, I said, I'm going to do an expository message. That's what this is called. And she was like, suppository? Oh, what are you talking about? You know, no. Or, um, yeah, not doing that. No. But we're doing an expository and that may not, doesn't have to mean anything to you, but that's just where we go through the Bible and look at one passage of scripture and, and just glean from that. You can do topical or say, let's talk today about God's love. And we look at a bunch of different scriptures. That's fine and well and good. We do that a lot. But we're going to go through this. Most of these will be expository. They'll look at one passage and glean from that. So this is one way. This is how you can do Bible study. This is just a side note. But when you read your Bible, you're not reading all over the place. Usually you're reading right. in one spot. And so this is kind of a, a model to follow. Looking at this Bible scripture, what was it saying and what can I learn from it? And so when we're doing this, hopefully you can kind of glean in, in your own Bible study. You can... You can do this. Um, so we're, we're going to pick up here in Genesis 13, actually. We're going to start reading in, in, uh, in 13. The story is in 14, but we've got to get some context. Um, in, the, in, this, in this message, in this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at two main people. One is Abram, also later known as Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I don't know if you remember that one, but that's I'm one of them, so are you. So we shake our arms and our legs and we dance around. Um, that's a little church thing if you grew up in the church like I did. Um, we're looking at Abraham. We're looking at his nephew, Lot. His nephew's name is Lot, L-O-T. Um, and that's his nephew. And they are traveling on a journey because Abram has been um, given this promise from God that he is going to a place where God will provide for him. 
He's going to a place that's new and outside of his comfort zone, and he's leaving his homeland. He's leaving Ur of the Chaldees. That's where he lived, a big town. Of, and that time, it was a very massive town, a massive city. He left that to just wander through different places and try to find what God had for him. Uh, that's a challenging type of life, but it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a picture of sometimes how we live our lives as we trust God. We can stay in the city. We can stay there and, and cling on to what we know. Or we can journey with God. We can walk with him and lead. And he leads us day by day and provides for us. And he blesses us along the way. Yes. And so in this, we find Abram and Lot journeying together. Lot decided to go with him. He said, you know what? I like what God's doing in your life. I'm just going to tap along with you. I'm your nephew. I got some people in my household. You got some people in your household. So this is not just two people. You ever done a caravan? You done a, a long road trip? You ever follow somebody on the highway and you're trying to stay up? If I follow uh, Cassie's parents, I get frustrated because... <laughs> They drive at different speeds than I do. And so, um, you, know, you, you know how that goes. But these are a lot of people traveling together. Um, we find later in this, this passage that Abram has 318 uh, skilled men that are a part of his group. So this is not just a little two families. This is a lot of people. And they're traveling together on this journey. And we find along the way, as they journey, God is blessing them. Take a step. Go, go a step. God blesses them. And the blessing is not because of anything that they do or other than to trust God. God's blessing in our life comes not because we did something. Uh, if I do X, Y, and Z and this formula, then God will give me all of this. No. Uh, God is not a formula. He's not manipulated. But God will bless us regardless. It's called grace. When we don't even deserve it, he blesses us. Amen. Right? And, and, and regardless of what we've done in the past, God will say, you know what? I forgive you, and I bless you. And so he's blessing them, and they're blessed so much that they, they remind me of my children in my tiny red Honda Fit. When I get all four of my kids in the backseat, well, all four of them in the backseat, but I get them all in my car, that creates a situation where we are too many people in a tight space. We tried to travel, we did travel all the way to Ohio for a wedding in my Honda Fit. And this was, um, without Cecilia, so we had the legal amount of seat belts and all that, but... It was, it was not a thing we'll ever do again. Because people in that close quarters, what do they do? You're touching me. You're pushing me. If you've ever had brothers and sisters or kids, you know how that goes. And so think of Lot and Abram and all their, pit, their people. You're pushing me. You're touching me. You're... And they start grumbling and griping because the herdsmen are, they're taking your water. No, that was where we want to put our herds. And they start fighting. A lot of issues, a lot of problems. And Abram knows, as a pretty wise person, that this is not the best thing. We don't need to be fighting. We're family here. There's a lot of area. There's a lot of blessing. And so he comes to a point, Genesis 13. It says this, verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, let, us not, let there not have any quarreling between you and me. Let's not get, let's not, this doesn't need to get ugly, you know. We're family. Or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. It's okay. We'll split if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So what does Abraham do here? He, he gives Lot the first choice of where to go, of all the selection. Now, if you have kids or if you were a, a sibling, you, when there's a piece of pie, right, who gets the first choice? Usually me, right? I'm going to get the first pick, you know. Uh, but he says, you know what, you're younger, you're my nephew, but I will give you the first choice. Now, if you're a mature person, you say, no, no, no. Abram, you deserve the first choice. If you ever go out to dinner and try to buy for somebody and they're like, no, you pay, no, I'll pay. No, no, no. Back and forth, back and forth. Somebody just caves in. Uh, this didn't happen, though. Lot, younger, maybe less mature, says, you know what? You're giving me first choice? Sweet. And he picks the big piece of pie. He picks what looks better. Let's, let's read this here. It says, 
Um, verse 10, it says, Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're going to get into these, these two towns here. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. Simple decision to him. What's best for me? Decision making. Life is full of decision making, right? Yep. This is a decision for Lot. What's best for me? That's all he considered. I want us to think about that. And, and as you reflect on this, hopefully beyond what we're doing here in this 20 minutes or so, as you make decisions, how do you make decisions? What's best for me? Seems good. Because Lot is a little bit nearsighted in this decision making. He doesn't consider a lot of other things. He just says, you know what, that looks like it's the best. I'll take it. Not, what does God want me to do? Maybe I should give Abram the first choice. Maybe, he, you know, he, he deserves it. I'm just tagging along anyways. He just says, you know what? What's best for me? That looks like the best. I'll prosper me. I will then go make my own blessing, right? Even though God's been blessing me, I'll go create my own blessing. And then that's how he decides. And look at this. This is where it, this is where it comes to head. The two-parted company, Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain. And he pitched his tents near Sodom. So, I like being funny. So, if you want to YouTube something that is a preacher slip-up, go YouTube that one right there. Uh, that will make you laugh this afternoon. Um, but that's like one of the all-time great preacher slip-ups. Slip um, but what do we know about Sodom so far in this text? Um, we know that God is going to eventually destroy Sodom. We just said that. Okay, so what does Lot know about it? We don't know. Does Lot know it's, a, it's not a good place to go? Does he know all this stuff? We don't know what information he had basing this decision. But he did know it looked pretty nice. And so that's where he went. There was a prosperous location. There was a very real allure to living there. Just like a lot of decisions we make in life, there's a lot of positives to them. Ooh, I can make more money on this job. Why don't I just switch jobs? Ooh, well, they need me to work here and here and there and where and there. Well, I don't know where about that. I'm going to make more money. Nearsighted sometimes. Oh, well, this looks like a great relationship. She's, she's beautiful. Wow. Well, what's her beyond that? You know, like, so, so we can get nearsighted, singular, you know, just this. That's all I'm looking at. And that's what Lot does. And this is what it says in verse 13. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning very greatly against the Lord. So if you know any Bible background, you know the people of Sodom were not, not the top. They're basically on the bottom of people and a relationship with God. These people epitomized people that had nothing. That wanted nothing to do with the things of God. Nothing to do. We, we read of perversion. We read of, we're actually, interestingly enough, you read later on in the prophets, they talk about Sodom and Ezekiel, that it wasn't just all the perversions that you think of. It was that they actually didn't care about the poor and needy. Go look it up in Ezekiel. The, the people of Sodom didn't care about the poor and needy, and they only cared about themselves. So it wasn't just, okay, they're, they're perverted, and that's what it was. They had lots of things going on. It was, it was a whole host of things, but generally they were just about them. And Lot, interesting enough, makes a decision just about me and goes over and he pitches his tents towards Sodom. He lives near them, but not there yet, right? So what does Lot know about going prior to there? Does he know... All these factors, we don't, we don't quite know. But when does he figure out that, you know, this is not the same type of thing as living with Abraham. This is not a godly situation. This is not what I thought it would be. This is not all it was cracked up to be. You know, in life, when we make decisions, when do we figure it out? Ooh, this might start being a bad decision. I, uh, 
right? Sometimes it's last minute. Sometimes we start seeing signs like, hmm, maybe this relationship isn't the best one. Maybe this job is not everything was cracked up to me. Maybe. And sometimes what do we do? We look the other way. No, I don't want to feel like a fool for making decisions. I'm going to look the other way. I'm just going to ride it out. And that's what he does. He goes and rides it out. And we'll pick it up. And and that's the end of that chapter, I I believe. Well, all we're going to look at. And uh, chapter 14, we'll pick it up there. Now, I have to warn you, there's a lot of names. And only a few of them I can pronounce. So I'm going to start making stuff up. And I'm just going to say it quickly. And if you say a name in the Bible, you don't know how it's pronounced. You say it quickly and with confidence. That's how it's pronounced. That's how it's pronounced. Genesis 14, verse... Verse 1, at the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elasar, and Kedolarmar king of Elam, and Tidal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Bersha king of Gomorrah, and Shinab king of Admah, Shimeber king of Zegboyim, and the king of Vila, that is Zohar. See, that's how you say it. <laughs> Just saying, that's how you say it. All these latter kings joined the forces in the valley of Siddim, that is the Dead Sea, the Dead sea Valley. For 12 years, they had been subject to Ketalormar. This is like King K, we'll call him, because I don't want to keep saying that name. But he's the main guy here, King K. But in the 13th year, they rebelled. So what does all that mean? Lot's home was not only a place of wickedness, it was also a place of battle, of confusion, of war, of bondage. This place that looks so beautiful is also a place in bondage. They were, they were battling for this place. It was nice, it was beautiful, everybody wanted it. And as a result, the kings themselves were subject to other kings. They didn't even have their own freedom. They were enslaved. But he says, you know what? It looks good, so I'm going to go over there. And so he picks a home that's a future war zone. And I don't know at what point he realized, man, there's a lot of chaos in this environment. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of bondage. There's a lot of, this is, maybe I need to, maybe I need to do something else. I don't know when he saw that, or maybe he, again, maybe looked the other way. It's beautiful, but there's a lot of, a lot of things going on. In, in verses 5 to 9, let me just summarize this. Um, I don't know how many names I can read at once, but uh, King K, all right, we're calling that his allies, go and take over more people. King K was a pretty big guy. He was pretty tough. He was the king of Elam. And he goes and he takes over more people in that area. He starts to become a superpower in the area. And he goes and defeats more people. And they're like this plague that's taking over the area and becoming the ones that are, are putting everybody into bondage. And they're coming for Lot and Sodom because they rebelled. And the final, they have these five kings that are still, like, rebelling against there. And they go out to battle against King K and his three homies, his three kings that are with him. All right? Mm-hmm. And so this is the big battle for the control of the land. This is the first battle. Really, it's kind of the first battle of the Bible. We're going to look at battle one and two today. This is the first battle. And King K and his allies go and, and they take over um, and, and more people. Let's read in verse 10 what it says. Now, the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. This is near the Dead Sea. Uh, When the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled for the hills. Um, The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. That's pretty bad. It's a prosperous place. I'm sure they had a lot of goods. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. We see it here that he wasn't just pitching his tents. Now he was a resident. See some progression in his life. Now, not only am I near it, now I'm just going to go ahead and live there. Maybe they had a better sewer system. Maybe they had something going on. I don't know. He, he wanted to go live inside. It, was, it presented some things that he liked, even though he looked the other way on all the things that were not so good. And as a result, we see that he's 
swept up into this chaos of his environment. Think about your life. Think about the things you've gone through. How sometimes we get swept up into the chaos of our environment. Where we place ourselves, this is key. You write this down. Where you place yourself matters. Where you plant yourself matters. Where you pitch your tents toward matters. Because that environment will be something that either builds you up or tears you down. Right. It'll build you up or it tear you down. Yes. I mean, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. This is something that I always had to go back to because kids are so impressionable. Youth are so impressionable. Go to school. Go to this crowd, that crowd. Man, I want to be accepted. I want to be liked. I want people to, to, you know, to think I'm somebody. And as a result, they sacrifice everything for that belonging. And as adults, as we grow up, we're like, ah, that's not me anymore. That was back then. But, you know, we're not as immune to that as we think. We can put ourselves in places that we don't need to be because we see one or two things that look so great about it. And we're missing all the other things that should be red alerts. Red alerts. This is not for you. This is not of God. This is not what he wants. And we have to be aware that we are susceptible to that. This this looks like a great situation, but I pray about it. Did I ask God what he wanted? Did I say, Lord, you lead me? Or did I say, you know, this is good. I'm just going to go straight there. You know, are we too quick to make the decision before we say, Lord, what do you want? Because God will lead us. He'll guide us. And not every situation we go through is going to be perfect. But if God is calling us there, that's a whole different story, right? Amen. So he was a casualty. We'll say Lot was really a casualty of the environment that he chose. He didn't want to go to war with these people. He didn't have anything to do with it. But he got swept up in the chaos. Genesis 14, 14 says this, A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eschol, and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. So Abram had made some friends, and he was living under a tree, just probably sipping a little drink with an umbrella in it, just, you know, God's blessing him. Somehow he got free of the chaos. It, it, the picture here is like, Abram, oh, there's a war? Oh, I didn't know about that. Okay. There's a lot of chaos. I mean, I'm over here. God's blessing me, and he's taking care of me. I'm not in all that. All right, so, so think about this. He let Lot choose. Lot chose for himself, and Lot chose to create his own blessing. As a result, there was no blessing, but only bondage. Abraham said, you know what? God will continue to bless me no matter where I go, no matter what it is. And guess what? He's sitting under the tree out of bondage, out of chaos. God's blessing him still. You know, you don't have to create your own blessing. God will do that for you if you give him control. Right? And so... Abraham realizes that, you know, the true blessing comes from God, no matter where you are. All right? So here's what happens. Verse 14. Uh, that was 13 years 14. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household. And he went in pursuit as far as Dana. Uh, that's not a person. Actually, this is an injection into the text. There was no Dan at that point. Dan is later on. But this is a, a transcription from somebody writing this later so they know what we're talking about. Um, this is south. So they, in, in the, during the night, Abram divided his men and attacked them. He routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought them back to his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and other people. So think about this. In one night, Abram with 318 men splits off and defeats these big-time kings that were taking over everybody. If that's not God, what is, right? If that's not God's blessing, what is? Because that's just not normal. These kings had multiple alliances and armies and all this. And Abram with 318 guys goes and defeats all of them in one night. God is with him. God is blessing. God is leading him. But, you know, Abram could have thought, you know what? 
Lot was a fool anyways. Why did he go over there? That's his fault. You ever thought that you see some people making decisions in life? You can get like that. You know, it serves him right. He should have let me. I was going to let him pick first. He should, you know, serves him right. You know, it's not my problem. You know, it's not. He made his decision. You know, he's got to deal with the consequences. Abram could have had all these thoughts going on in But rather, he chose to say, you know what? I'm going to put some, some of my skin in the game. I'm going to put my neck on the line. And I'm going to go and risk for somebody else. I'm going to go battle on behalf of somebody else. Amen. God's calling us to battle on behalf of other people. Now, we can't change anybody. You can't go change anybody else. You can't fix anybody else. But we can battle for other people. Yeah. You know how you do that primarily? You can pray for them. Amen. You can pray for them. Yeah. If you're not praying for somebody, then you're not battling for them. That's somebody right. going through something, the first thing you do, pray for them. Yeah. And that's not a small thing. When we pray for somebody, we're lifting it up to God who, who can meet every need. Amen. And so when we battle for people, we don't say, well, that's their issue. I don't know, man. Serves them right. They got the, you know, what they deserve. You know, Sowing and reaping, the Bible talks about that, you know, all these sort of things. But you know what? Maybe all that's true. But regardless, God is a God of grace. He's shown me grace and favor. I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for this person. I'm gonna I'm gonna lift them up and remember them. I'm gonna I'm gonna battle for them. You know what he does too? He actually steps in and does something as well. And sometimes you can do that. Not every time, but sometimes you can step in and do something. Maybe it's encouraging. You can just step in and say something encouraging. They're struggling, going through things. Hey, you know what? I'm here for I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. I believe God's got it under control. Just an encouraging word can mean so much. Yeah. So we can step in and actually do something. We can pray. We can do something. We can say something. Uh, we might be able to do something. Uh, maybe somebody you know, is going through hard times. We can, we can help them. And, you know, maybe financially we can help them. That's what this organization here, Mission Lexington, we're here because we believe God wants us to help our neighbors in need. And when people go through hard times, believe God cares about them and he wants to help them, not just with, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. All right, see you later. But what can we maybe do to help you get through this crisis in your life? Yeah. And so you, we can be a part of things like that. You can give to organizations like this that help people that are going through crisis, going through the battles in their life. Um, but he battled on somebody else's behalf. We, he got uncomfortable to help somebody in need. And I believe God's calling us to do that. Again, we can't fix people. You can't get it so much in their business that you're trying to fit. You can't be the savior. But you can say, you know what? God's placed me in your life for some reason. Yeah. And I'm here for you. Sure I'm not leaving. Yeah, I believe in you. God, God's got this. And, and I believe he's calling us to do that as a church. So here we go. Verse uh, 17. Let's, let's kind of wrap this up. It says, after Abel returned from defeating Tetelormar and the king's allied with him, King Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava. That is the king's valley. All these different valleys, all these different people. Then, here's a new guy. Who's this guy? Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Like, this is, this is random here. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. This is an interesting thing. We don't have time to dive into Melchizedek. Not that you would care to do that. But you could. If you want to do a Bible study on that, you could. This is a guy that shows up twice in the Old Testament. This is the only time he shows up. His name shows up in Psalms. And then the book of Hebrews gives him like three or four or five chapters talking about Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. So uh, interesting, the New Testament really kind of pulls out something here that doesn't seem to be very significant um, when it just shows up. But Melchizedek is the king of, uh, well, well, I'll just say that the New Testament really in Hebrews talks about he's a prefiguration. He's a, a, a personification of Christ. And so they, they, they build that up. You can read that in there 
And, and the point was that God is bigger than Judaism. That's what they're trying to get in the book of Hebrews. That this prefiguration, Christ showed up as a priest of God before there ever was. Uh, and it came to Abraham. Abraham honored him before there was the law the, uh, and the Aaronic priesthood and all these sort of things. That God is bigger than Judaism. Judaism was what God instituted in the Old Testament to point people to him. Um, and we understand that the Jews uh, ultimately rejected, but through Christ came and showed us that, that he is the true uh, Messiah. And so, but anyway, so um, Melchizedek shows up. He's this, this interesting character. And, um, oh, did I read this part? The last part of 20. That Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So also, people look at the scripture about tithing. What is tithing all about? Well, you know, that's in the law. That's a, well, actually, tithing here is, predates the law, the Old Testament law. This is something, a response of worship. Abraham responds in worship to the God that just provided his victory in his life. And so I won't spend a lot of time on that, but that's another thing people point to. But here's the thing. What is, here's the king of Salem. Uh, where is Salem? What is Salem? Many scholars think that Salem is Jerusalem. He is the king of Jerusalem which is the ultimate capital city of the people of God. Here he shows up, the first king of Jerusalem, who's also a priest, and says, hey, Abram, God has blessed you, and Abram gives him a tithe. But what does Salem mean? If you look in the, in the Hebrews, Salem is like shalom, it's peace. So this is the king of peace showing up. That's why this is a kind of a pre-figure of Christ showing up. Christ, you know, in a way, shows up. I am going to bring you peace. So I like this scene. Lot's back, the king of Sodom, all the stuff going on. Everybody's happy. Everything got rescued. This is a good situation. This is a time, I believe, like God creates in our lives, moments where we can pivot to something else. That's right. Let that sit on you. We have these moments in our life. Because I don't know about you, I just spent like seven months football coaching, basketball coaching, uh, four kids, everything going on. And now... No practice today. No practice. You know, I just, you know, there's moments where we just get going and going and going and going. We're just doing our thing. But God will give moments in our life where we can pivot. We can change. We can move in a new direction. And I believe this was a moment for Lot. What just happened to you, Lot? You got swept up in the chaos. What are you going to do next? In shows the king of peace with the city of peace. Hmm, where should I live? Maybe I'm going to move to a new place called the, the city of peace with the king of peace, with the one who knows the true God. Mm. Think about that. Mm. What, what a presentation to him. I can, I can change. I got an opportunity. I can move. I don't have to go back to Sodom. All the battle, all the struggle, all the chaos. That was Lot's environment, but he'd been rescued, and the king of peace had shown up to him. He had an opportunity that day to make a change in his life. So, you know, I choose peace over chaos. I choose freedom over bondage. I choose a new life over what I've been, been going in. God gives us those opportunities, but you know what happens? And sadly, he doesn't do that. Sadly, he doesn't do that. Because he goes, and, and the Bible says he goes back and lives inside him. Yeah. He goes back to his home. He said, puts all his stuff back on the shelves or whatever he had to do. And he says, you know what? This is my home. This is who I am. But God had given him an opportunity to change. To be something different. And as we wrap this up, you know, I won't go through reading the text, but in Genesis 18, we come back to uh, God dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you know anything about 
the Bible, if you've read this before, these angels visit Abram and say, God is about to punish Sodom and Gomorrah. This is over. They had, they had that chaos. They had the battle. He went and rescued. They got it back together, but they never changed. Nothing ever fixed. And so God's judgment is coming. Just like it is for every person, each one of us, if we don't put our faith in Christ. And so he's, he gives them a warning. Abram begins to battle once again. And he battles through prayer. He talks to God. He says, God, if there's 50, if there's 50 righteous people, would you, would you spare the city? If there's 45, if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20, if there's 10. He goes over and over all these different numbers, and he stops at 10. Which I think is an error on Abraham's part because he didn't realize that Jesus would save one person. He would have died on the cross for one person. If there was one, he would, he would have spared it for one and, and so Abram stops at 10 and he says, you know what, that's enough. I can't push it anymore. There's 10 righteous people inside and would you spare the city? And God says, yes, I will. But the sad thing is there wasn't. How many people were in Lot's household? Hundreds. Hundreds of people in his own household. We're not talking about all the crazy people in Sodom. Who's in your own household? But Lot had lost his own household. He lost his own household. He lost his own, and he's scrambling around. We read it, and he's scrambling, trying to warn his his sons-in-law. Hey, hey, hey! We got to get out of here. He's still trying a little bit. He still feels it, and they they just think he's joking. They laugh at him, like whatever, man. You're, you're, you know, and they decide to stay there, and they, they become uh, destroyed with everybody else. The angels come, they visit, and they literally have to grab him by the hand. God, in His grace, will grab grab you by the hand sometimes and lift you out of those situations. And it pulled him, even though he's almost resisting. I don't want to leave this. I love this. Even though, I, you know, it's so broken here, there's something about it that attracts me. And God pulls him out of that. Pulls him out. We read about his wife who doesn't want to leave. She turns back toward it and she's destroyed. And he's left with two daughters and himself. And I, I, very uh, troubling passage of scripture. Jerry Springer stuff. I'm telling you, you're reading the daughters in Lot end up incestuously forming the Moabites and another group of people, the Ammonites. Maybe they learned that in the environment that they were in. I don't know. Maybe they learned that type of stuff being inside of their whole life. He lost his family. He lost his, his life. He had a decision way earlier to pivot, to move in a different direction, to change. God gives us those opportunities. We have to take them. Because you don't know when the next one is. And you don't know when so much of Sodom becomes part of you that you don't want to leave. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. We don't always hear his voice. I don't know about you. Sometimes I'm really moved by the Spirit of God. I'm, I feel touched. Sometimes I'm, I come to church, I don't feel a thing. And I'm a pastor. I have to confess it to you. I still come and I, and I believe in the Lord. But there's times where God moves on me and I feel, I feel something. And God is saying something. He's doing something. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. I believe this morning God has people here for a reason. I really believe it. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, it's a time to pivot, to turn in a new direction. It's time to receive Jesus into your life and to let all of the self go. And what that looks like, how that works, is, it, is you begin a journey with God. It's not, I prayed something, uh, I got a get-out-of-jail-free card, I, I, you know, now I'm in heaven, I'm good, now I'm just going on my life. No, no, no. You start a journey with God who begins to reshape 
who you are. You are not your own. You are bought with a price, the Bible says. So you begin to walk with Jesus and walk with other Jesus followers, and that begins to transform the very being of who you are. And it's not quick, and it's not like this. You know, it's, it's not always, it, it goes up and down. There's challenges, there's bumps on the road. Um, there's times you're like, man, I don't even know what I'm doing. I, I don't feel anything anymore. But you stay the course, you stay on the journey, keep surrendering yourself each and every day, taking the cross and following him, and you will find blessing, you will find peace, you will find joy in serving him. You just bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, church. heads bowed and eyes closed today. Maybe you have uh, put yourself in an environment that's tearing you down. Maybe you've got swept up in the environment. Maybe who knows how you, how you got there, but you're in a place in life where God doesn't want you there. That's not where you need to be. And this is your moment this morning to pivot, turn in a new direction. I believe for some, some people here this morning, maybe this is a time to, to receive Christ in your life. Maybe for the first time, or maybe to rededicate your life to Him. Maybe this is a moment where you pivot, and it's not receiving Christ, but it's just a change. I need to change something. There's something in my life. I got. I can't keep doing this. i got to move in a new direction as I walk out the doors today. There's something that's got to change in my life. I'm not going to look the other way anymore. Maybe that's you this morning. If you would say, you know, Pastor Sheldon, that's me and God has me here for a reason. If you would do this, if you just lift your hands, you know what? I'm responding to God. I hear his voice and I'm not going to harden my heart. And I'm going to lift my hand in response to him and say, Lord, I go your direction. I go your direction. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now? If that's you. Amen. Amen. You put it up, you put it back down. I'm going to pray with you. I want you to pray with me. If you want to receive Christ in your life, it's not a magical formula of prayer, but you confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So you would just say, Lord, forgive me my sin. I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to follow you. I want to follow your way. I need your help because I can't do it in my own strength. And he will answer that prayer. And he'll lead you step by step, day by day. So let's pray that. If that's what you need to pray, you need to pray this morning. Just go ahead and do that in this moment. As I pray for you, pray that in, at, right at your seat. If there's something in your life you want to pivot from, just ask the Lord to lead you in a new direction. And let's do that this morning. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people here this morning. God, I pray that you would begin a new thing in our lives, God. That you would open up our hearts and our minds to see that you have something fresh in you. God, that we don't have to get caught up in the chaos. We don't have to let our environment bring us down. But God, we can choose the King of Peace, the Prince of Peace, who will cleanse us from all the past, who will give us grace, who will give us mercy, who will give us blessing. Lord, I thank you that you are, you are here in a strong and powerful way this morning to bring new life, to bring new change, to transform us into who you want us to be. Lord, I pray for those that lifted their hands. God, I pray that you would begin a brand new thing in their life. God, a new direction. 